Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Pam Gianfrido is the CEO of the Mental Health Association in Palm Beach County, Florida. Thank you for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. I've long felt that to so many people, the delivery of mental health services was seen to be the responsibility of doctors, hospitals, and clinics, but this is incorrect. Another huge world exists that provides important care and advocacy. Many of our clinical failures occur, in my opinion, because patients and their families don't know about organizations like yours. I should also say that these organizations nip many problems before they grow into unmanageable sizes. So let's talk about what an organization like yours does, but let's begin a little bit with a sense of how these organizations even came to be. Where where do they come from? I believe organizations like ours came to be because of the need. You know, we have so many people in Palm Beach County that have mental health concerns or substance abuse concerns, and the statistics say that one in four people in our county has a mental health problem. So that roughly translates into almost 300,000 people. So these people need support and they need support from the community. They can't always get it from a doctor because they can't afford it or are uninsured. So organizations like ours become a part of the system of care that helps to prevent mental illness and substance abuse problems and also provide aftercare if someone does get end up in the hospital. We try to provide services that help them stabilize so they don't end up being re-hospitalized afterwards. So follow-up long care groups, community centers, drop-in centers, those are the sort of things that you do? First of all, we are like the portal where a lot of people come into the system because they don't know where to go for help. They call the Mental Health Association and we can screen people for anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and then we connect them with the people that can help. We do provide support groups, peer support, and a lot of brief interventions, but we really are trying to be the matchmaker between the people who need help and the people who are providing help. That can happen at any point in a person's life. It can be at any age, and we just want to be the ones that connect people to the help they need. One of the largest problems that you and other similar groups have to face is the notion of stigma. I I just want to put that on the table, and I want to hear you talk about mental health stigma. It is a very large problem because for a variety of reasons, our mental health system has been put into a separate silo from other health care. And we know that the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. You, You can't treat a person's health without taking into account their mental health as well. But a lot of people don't want to acknowledge because of the reputation that mental health and substance abuse problems have had in the past. They don't want to acknowledge that they need help. So we're addressing that by providing more resources to doctors and pediatricians and others to be able to recognize a mental health problem in their practice, which is a place that people are more likely to go for help. You know, you're more likely to go to your regular doctor with any kind of health concerns, and there's not as much stigma attached to that as going to a mental health specialist. We're working with doctors to be able to recognize these mental health concerns and then screen for them and connect them with specialists if they need to. There also seems to be 
a very significant difference in the mental health needs of children, adults, the elderly, cultural issues. How do you address such a diversity of, I, I don't want to say customers, that sounds too callous, but they're also not patients per se. I don't know what you guys actually refer what yeah. work. Well, actually, we we do work with all ages. We start with kids because we believe we can prevent serious mental illness from even developing in the first place. We have mentors in 55 schools in Palm Beach County who are working with kids that have been identified as maybe having a behavioral problem. When you, when you say mentor, what 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 does that person do? The person goes to the school and sits with a, a kid who's been identified as having a problem and just listens to them, helps them with problem solving, helps them talk through the issues that may be going on at home or in school, such as bullying. We know that mental illness can be caused by traumatic events and by violence in the neighborhood and by abuse at home. So if we can identify kids who are are being bullied or having other trauma in their lives, we can actually prevent a lot of mental illness from happening. And that's a big effort that the Mental Health Association is working on, is early identification. We train our mentors also to be able to recognize the beginnings of more serious mental illnesses that may be caused by a biological cause like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And we also believe that by identifying these kids early, we can prevent the diseases from escalating. You know, a lot of kids, when they have a serious mental illness, they're not really being treated for that. They may be misdiagnosed as ADHD or some other disorder, and we believe that if they got the proper treatment early enough, we could prevent kids from self-medicating with illegal drugs or having their diseases escalate into full-blown mental illness. It raises the question of who pays for all this. This cannot be inexpensive. It isn't. And we fund our programs through a variety of different sources. We are funded by state and county funds. We have donations from our members in the community. A lot of foundations support our work. We get, for example, the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office supports our drop-in center for people with mental illness because they know that they want to prevent people from having to go into what's become the largest mental health provider in the nation, and that's our criminal justice system. So we get funding from a variety of sources because these sources all know that we can make a difference in people's lives and really prevent them from becoming incarcerated and homeless and worse. As I listen to you, I'm constantly reminded of movies and television shows where the kid connects to a teacher. The theme of the movie is that without the teacher, the kid would drift into gangs and drugs or whatever. How widely known are your programs and other advocacy programs in terms of this type of work? I have spoken to so many people in the course of my career, and I'll say, do you know about these advocacy groups? And so many of them say, no, they've never heard of it. They've heard of psychiatrists, they've heard of the local hospitals, but they've never heard of your groups. 
Right, and this is a big challenge because we're all operating on a shoestring budget. We can't really afford television ads. We have had a campaign called It's Okay to Get Help where we created some PSAs and put them on TV. Nobody gives us funding for media, and that's really remains the easiest way to get to people. Our programs are known in the school, and they're known by the other providers in the system of care. For example, there are hospitals that take people with mental health crises that are funded by the county and by the state because they take a lot of people who don't have insurance. Not everybody's lucky enough to be able to pay. We work with those programs to help support their clients while they're in treatment and provide peer support and support groups at a place to go to learn life skills and work skills. And then when they get out of treatment, they're referred into our program for aftercare. And this is so crucially important for someone who's just been released from the hospital and has nowhere to go and needs a little extra support to be reminded, yes, I do need to take my medications. And yes, I can recover from this mental illness if I do certain things, become more resilient, become able to be more self-reliant. One of the things we've done is we've created a bookstore called Peer Place Books, and we provide a simulated work environment for people with mental illness who can learn some work skills and gain self-esteem and a sense of purpose. And then we try to hook them up with jobs in the community with employers that are understanding of what people with mental illness may be challenged with but are willing to try to employ them. And we support everyone along the way. It's so critical that what you do, we used to call it the social services components of long-term care and pre-hospitalization and post-hospitalization education. Mm -hmm. The treatment for mental illness is not the 28-day hospital stay, and no one gets 28 days anymore. Right, right. But it's so much larger, and most of that is not paid for by insurance. That's right. And this is why advocacy comes in, because in addition to providing direct services to people through our Peer Place Drop-In Center and education for everyone, we do have this advocacy component. It's so critical because when cutbacks occur in substance abuse and mental health services, it's programs like ours that are cut back. And We've received cuts again and again over the years to the point where we are literally cut to the bone. Every legislative session, we try to rally the troops, not just the consumers of mental health services, but the providers as well, to communicate with their lawmakers about how important these services are. One thing that's really critical is that we all work together with a similar message and not go in with our private lobbying efforts because one in four people has a mental illness. So if we kind of went in as a block, we would be a force to be reckoned with. That's one of the things the Mental Health Association is trying to do is organize not just consumers, but providers of mental health and substance abuse services as well and educate them about the needs. It's also a very pragmatic thing. If one in four people, not if, because one in four people have a mental illness, certainly some of them can work and certainly they're not all on disability, but but a, a fair 
fair proportion of them are. If we could return a fair proportion to the workplace and then they would be paying taxes and, you know, as a society, we would have people would be going home at night with a sense of satisfaction, but they're also contributing to society in other ways as well. Everyone wins. And that's exactly the point. You know, we have, we talk about stigma and, and this is part of it. You know, employers need to know that not everybody who has peculiar affect or maybe looks a little odd is a problem as a potential employee. Some of them are dedicated, loyal employees that would be excellent employees, especially if they have a little bit of coaching and support from us at the same time. And then they can become more protective members of society. The alternative is just unthinkable that they end up back in prison or homeless. I mean, this is this is what happens to untreated mental illness. And I, I'll tell you, my stepson, Timothy, is in that boat right now. He is 26 and somewhere in California, we don't know where, he won't take his medication, he won't get a job, and he, he's in and out of jail and hospitals all the time. And I would just hope that if he came to a place like our peer place drop-in center, that they would welcome him with open arms, take him on his own terms, and help him. And that's what we try to do here in Palm Beach County. Many years ago, there was a hospital system in South Carolina called the William S. Hall State Hospital, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yes, it was a hospital. There's no question about that. But they kept people there because we didn't have medications or they didn't have a social system, but they were treated with dignity as much as they could. They were taught skills. And the goal was for those who could come back into the community was to give them something that would work. And then when they were discharged, we had programs that would carry them through and monitor and so on. Those have virtually disappeared. Right. And that's because decades ago, the legislatures decided it was inhumane to lock people up. So they released them into the community, but they didn't provide enough financial supports for these kinds of community programs. And that's when these community programs started to spring up because of the enormous need of people who had nowhere to go for help. It has been extremely piecemeal. I mean, we've been here since 1949. And our drop-in center, Peer Place, has been around for more than 20 years. There are other great programs, too, but our lawmakers don't understand that you can't take people out of protected environment and just throw them out on the streets without the community supports they need. Realistically, are we headed in a way that's going to be better, or are we just looking at a really stormy future right now? Your, your best guess. I am involved in a process right now. I'm aware that the state of Florida is trying to convert the mental health and substance abuse services for the communities to a managed care system. They believe that this might end up costing less money, but in reality, in my opinion, you'll first have to take off somewhere around 5% of the funding just for the overhead of starting a new managed care system. And there's really no guarantee that we'll be able to maintain our system of care, even as fragmented as it is now. We don't have mechanisms in place to ensure that any system of care will remain the way it is now. So I'm very concerned about the future, and this is happening imminently. 
I hope that everybody will sign on to just learn more about what's happening in our community and what the potential effects of that would be. I would suspect that this is nationwide, perhaps worldwide in some respects, and we're just looking at one piece of it, an important piece, but it's almost universal. Well, I think Florida is a little different than a lot of other states. I'm familiar with Texas and Connecticut in particular, and they figured this out before now. We are headed down this path now. It's not going to happen later. It didn't happen 10 years ago. It is now. And that's why we need to all become more informed about this process. Going along the same thought process. Mm There seems to be a movement to have the care of mental health people being done by organizations like yours. Do we need to lean more on the families? Is that a realistic thing to do? We certainly need to provide support to caregivers and uh, family members. And we most of the calls we get for help are from family members who have a child or a parent who clearly has had some changes in their behavior and need help. I think... We have to work together, and we at the Mental Health Association do a lot of education for parents. We do lunch and learns and workshop to try to bring new ideas and new strategies to families. It is an effort of education, outreach, and advocacy that we are, we're employing all these strategies in our community about how to help someone who's struggling equal in many ways to the wonderful medicines that we have, which work a lot, but unfortunately Mm -hmm. not all of the time. Pam Giafrido is the CEO of the Mental Health Association in Palm Beach County, and we are fortunate to be able to talk to her a little bit about her observations. Thank you very much for your work, and thank you very much for joining us today. My great pleasure.